This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. This week, this, uh, this sermon has gone through a few different versions in my head. And one of the versions involved me telling you a really long story. History, a history lesson. Does anyone like ancient history? Yeah. So I was going to do like an ancient history lesson uh, and fill you all in on like hundreds of years of history from thousands of years ago. Um, and then I realized that Lewis likes us to preach short sermons in the PM. Uh, so I'm not going to give you that. But if you want that afterwards, I'm very happy to just download it all into your brain because um, it's, it's really interesting. But basically, uh, the story I'm telling tonight is a story from 2,500 years ago, which is a really big number and kind of difficult to get your head around. Like, if you think about World War One, World War One was around about 100 years ago, a bit over. The story I'm telling you is 2,500 years ago. Like, I can't imagine how long ago that was. Uh, it's kind of hard to get your head around. Um, and it's kind of amazing that I can tell you a story from that long ago. Most of the history that we have from that far back is just like, this king was born, he lived this long, and then he died. And his son became the king, and he lived this long, and then he died. And then I get to tell you the story about this guy, Daniel. This guy, Daniel, led just the most crazy, amazing life. Uh, he was born, as I say, like 2,500 years ago, in Jerusalem. Uh, and we don't really know exactly how he grew up, but what we do know is that he was well off enough in that society, in that city, in that place, in that time, that he had some education already by the time he was 17. And when he was 17, the worst possible thing happened to Daniel. An army from a place called Babylon, led by an emperor whose name is really awesome, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes in with his army, uh, and he doesn't really care that much about Daniel. Never heard of him. Uh, in fact, he doesn't even care that much about Jerusalem, the city Daniel lives in. Uh, we, we, we care about it because it features pretty heavily in the Bible, and, you know, Daniel cared about it because it was his home. But for Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem was just a city between Babylon and Egypt. And he and his army were on their way to smash Egypt, which was another empire. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, my empire is big, but it could be bigger. I'm going to defeat the Egyptians and absorb all their territory into mine. And so he just went through and took out every city that was allied or associated with the Egyptians. And at that time, for reasons that I'll explain if you'd like me to later. Um, at that time, Jerusalem was part of the Egyptian territory, so they got smashed. But also, there's another story going on, a spiritual story, uh, a story of God. And God had actually been warning his people who lived in and around the area around Jerusalem, warning them over and over and over and over for generations, sending prophets to them saying, you need to get your lives in order. You need to get back on track. You used to love me, you used to worship me, you used to follow me, and now you don't care about me. You're just kind of going through the motions, doing your religious duties, but otherwise living completely your own way, doing your own thing, abusing people, misusing people, 
just being horrible, awful people. You need to get your life turned around. And they just kept ignoring God for a long, 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 long time. And eventually, uh, he sends a prophet named Jeremiah. Uh, You can read about Jeremiah's prophecy in the book in your Bible called, you guessed it, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 25, God speaks to Jeremiah and Jeremiah proclaims this prophecy to the people to say, you've run out of chances. The Babylonians are going to come, they're going to destroy the city, they're going to destroy the palace, they're going to destroy the temple of your God and all of your rulers and all of your educated, well-off, well-to-do people in the city are all going to get taken into what we call exile. It's basically they all get kidnapped and shipped off somewhere else. Uh, And they're going to get shipped off to Babylon for 70 years. That's the prophecy. And at the end of the 70 years, Babylon are going to get smashed because they're not good. They're just being used by God, but they're evil too. So they're going to get smashed too, and everyone's going to get to come home. So Daniel probably heard this prophecy as a 17-year-old kid. Anyone here 17? Imagine getting told that you're going to get kidnapped and taken to a city hundreds of miles away for 70 years. How old will you be in 70 years' time? 87. It's like a life sentence. In fact, in those days, the idea of living to be 87 was like, there was no modern medicine. Like, no one lived that long. It's like, this is it. This is the end. It's over for Daniel. And just like God said, all these things happened Jerusalem is destroyed, and Daniel is taken to Babylon. Now, when he gets to Babylon, he is put into the ancient world equivalent of university, uh, which is a little education centre, which is part of the imperial palace in the middle of the city, and he is trained up to work for the emperor as a bureaucrat to help run this huge empire uh, took a lot of people organizing a lot of logistics, and that was going to be his his job. And he was he'd been handpicked uh, by the Babylonian authorities. It's like this kid is young enough and smart enough, and he's got a little bit of education already. We can re-educate him, add some more education. So he spends three years in Babylonian university, and when he graduates, he becomes a wise man, which is basically like a bureaucrat, someone who organizes things, organizes the day-to-day running of the empire. And Daniel works hard. He does his best. He does what he's told. He's a good employee for the Babylonians, except for one thing. He doesn't follow their religion. He keeps his own religion. And I think that the Babylonians would have thought this was weird. They would have thought this was not the usual thing. Usually they go, they've smashed some local people in some far-flung place, absorbed their territory into their empire, bring them back as exiles and go, well, your God sucks because he didn't defend you when we invaded you. Our God rules because he smashed you. So you should convert and follow our God. And most people did that, but not Daniel and not Daniel's friends. Uh, Quite a lot of the Israelites that went to Babylon, like Daniel, stayed true to their God. And it got Daniel in trouble. Uh, You can read Daniel, there's a book called Daniel, and the first six chapters are basically a series of stories of how 
Daniel stayed true to God and it kept on getting him in trouble. And I want to read one of those stories, the final story to you guys tonight uh, from my Bible, Daniel chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Daniel chapter 6. Just to give you the context though, uh, remember I said Daniel and, and the Israelites were going to be in Babylon for 70 years? Well, this is year number 67. Daniel's still alive. He's, anyone know how old he is? He's good at maths. 84 years old. And he's like, whoa, I'm, I'm going to make it. Three years to go. And then this happens. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Darius is now the emperor, and Darius is not a Babylonian. Darius is a Persian, because the Persian Empire has come in and defeated and smashed the Babylonian Empire, and they like the city so much and the palace so much that Darius decides to move in and make Babylon the new capital of the Persian Empire. Anyway, Darius has appointed 120 satraps these are the, the wise men, the bureaucrats that run the empire, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. He's moved up. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 67 years in captivity and he hasn't lost his faith in God. So much so that these people are like, hey, this is his one weakness. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administers, administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. That basically means that even though he's the king, he can't make any exceptions to this law. 
And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. I guess he was looking for, like, legal loopholes, asked his lawyers to put a case together, appeal it to the uh, high court, except they didn't have one. So, then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Did you get that? I've had that three times now. You figured that out? It's important, isn't it? So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He didn't even have his phone. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. It's violent, isn't it? This is the world two and a half thousand years ago. This is how things were done. This King Darius, uh, I don't think he was a good guy, but this is what he did. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. And I think when they say all the earth, they just mean his whole empire, which was essentially everywhere that anyone knew about because it was huge. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel. Daniel had principles, didn't he? He knew what he, what he thought, he knew what he believed, he knew what he stood for. He chose to stand by it. He chose not to lie. He chose not to cheat. He chose not to use his own high position in this empire to his own profit. He chose not to engage in the cultural norms of those around him in his society even when it was illegal to pray, the first thing he did upon hearing that edict was go home to pray, straight away. And he didn't lock his door, and he didn't shut his window, and he didn't hide it. He 
He just did what he knew was right. And I love at the end, when God comes through for him and he's saved from these lions, the first thing he says to the very king who just gave the order to throw him to the lions because he prayed to his God was to give glory to that God. It's a cool story, isn't it? I think that's probably why it's in all the kids' Bibles, even though it's a little bit violent. (laughs) I don't know if you followed the whole, like, why they convinced Darius to make this random law. But back in the ancient world, a lot of the time, in this part of the world, people kind of believed that their kings were like a religious figure, not just a political figure. That a king in an empire was the human go-between. That the king was kind of the closest human being to the gods. And if you as a lowly human wanted to get close to the gods, close to the heavens, then the king was how you accessed that. Uh, And so he's kind of gone, well, I've just taken control of this huge territory. No one really knows me. It's the first year that I've been their king. This is a good idea, politically, to kind of set myself up as the one source to go to. Just for 30 days, you've got to leave all your other gods to one side and just pray to the king. It's a kind of political, religious double move. The only issue with it was that his favourite mate, Daniel, was not going to follow that decree. And I love what he says when he realises what's happened. And he turns to Daniel and says, yeah, I've got to do this. I've got no choice. And he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now, I don't want to be a lawyer uh, here about the law that the king just made, but this is really close to the line. Is the king not praying to a god other than himself at this moment? Almost, kind of, by implication? Like, the whole thing has been set up to say, the one place you can go when you need help is the king and nowhere else. And the king's gone, my hands are tied, I can't change the law, I'm helpless, but maybe your God will save you. I can't save you, maybe your God can. It's almost like a prayer to the other God, breaking his own rule. And, wouldn't you know it, God saves him. So I've got a few things I've thought of, just to wrap up. Uh, The first one is this, Jesus is greater than Daniel. There's a lot of Jesus bits in this story, if you look closely. A lot of little hints, a little foreshadowing of the Jesus story. This is 500 years before Jesus, so, you know, they're they're just hints. They're just, it's just flavor. I don't know if you spotted any. Jesus stood up to the empire of his time. It wasn't the Persians or the Babylonians, it was the Romans, but he stood up to them He stood up for what was true and what was good. Uh, In fact, he was better than the world around him, than the kind of norms of his society. Like he was more loving and more peaceful and more good with his kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of Rome. And they killed him for it. Just like Daniel. 
And yet Jesus trusted God to save him. And unlike Daniel and the lions, he actually died behind the stone rolled across the front of the cave. Did you notice the stone? It's pretty reminiscent of Jesus, isn't it? And then, not the next morning, but the one after, the stone is rolled away, and Jesus walks out of the cave alive, saved by God. And yet, Jesus wasn't just a martyr who died for a good cause, for the cause of God. Jesus was God, is God. And Jesus lives even now. Daniel didn't. I don't think we know if he lived three more years, if he made it back to Jerusalem. He kind of, his story ends pretty much here. I mean, not the book. You can read the rest of the book. It's wild. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, Anyway, my other thought, because I'm getting sidetracked again, is for you and for me. This story kind of invites this question. What would you do if you were put in Daniel's situation? How strong is your faith? How faithful would you remain? In spite of his kind of situation, isolation, potential lack of hope, knowing that he's going to be stuck here for 70 years. You know, you you go to school or university, just like Daniel went to his palace school. Maybe you work in a workplace, just like Daniel worked as a bureaucrat for the empire. You work amongst people who believe things that are different to you, that conduct their lives differently to the way Jesus wants you to conduct yours. And most of the time, it's not an issue. And then just every now and then, it is an issue. Hopefully not a life and death issue, but an issue nonetheless. What do you do? What do you do when people expect you to act like they do, to have the values that they have, to believe the things they believe about what is good and right and what is bad and wrong? And there's a difference. What do you do? What do you do when it's difficult? Do you go along with the world that you live in, with the people around you, or do you stay true to what you believe in? But also, remember I said that Daniel was here for like almost 70 years, and there's these stories in the book of Daniel, in these six chapters, tell the story of what happened when push came to shove, when Daniel had to choose. And he chose the right thing every time. He stood up for what he believed in. He stayed true to his God in spite of the opposition, in spite of the threats of, on his life. But what about all the other years he lived there and all the other emperors he served? There's like a list of emperors that he outlives in his time in captivity in Babylon. For 67 years... Daniel did his job, and he did it well. In fact, he was the best. He was the most reliable, the most trustworthy, the most diligent. He had this reputation for never being corrupt, for never neglecting his duty, 
for always doing what was required of him. And he did it so well and was so reliable and so trustworthy that no one could find anything to blame him for, anything to say against him. I mean, that's inspiring too. I think that's, in some ways that's even harder. <laughs> like, can you do that? That's, that's my prayer for us tonight. Those two things, I think. We'll finish with that. To be everyday Daniels and point of conflict Daniels. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, to do what's right and what's good when it's the everyday and also to do what's right and good when push comes to shove. To do right by our bosses and our teachers and our friends and our family. It's a, it's a tall ask in a lot of ways, and I think it's something that we cannot do on our own. And if you do read the rest of Daniel, you discover that the fuel, the thing that keeps Daniel going, is not just that he was a good bloke, and it's not just that he was better than all of us. Daniel had this deep, personal, intimate, amazing connection with the Holy Spirit. He has these visions of dreams and beasts and there's all this wild stuff that God reveals to him and shows to him. He's in constant connection with God. He's praying three times a day, every day. We need that first, and that's the fuel that allows us to be like Daniel in the everyday and when the push comes to shove. So let's pray for that. Uh, Lord God, we, we thank you for Daniel. Uh, we thank you that he reminds us so much of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we want to be like Daniel because we want to be more like Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would draw us close to you that you would uh, impart to us uh, what we need, Lord, that you'd give us the, the strength, uh, the, the energy, the focus, the commitment to stay true, to stay true to what you're calling us to do and to be, uh, Lord, that you'd work on our character and transform us by your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would prepare us that you would ready us uh, for those moments when our, our lives uh, are put under pressure, when we are uh, pushed into a corner, that, Lord, that we would not deny you, that we would not uh, ignore you, that we would not hide our love for you. Uh, Lord, that we would take those opportunities, uh, even at personal cost, to say uh, that we love you, that we follow you, that you are our guiding light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.